Well, if you have a Bible with you this morning, I would like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 1, and we will be looking this morning at verses 17 through 23 of Ephesians 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, we do have Bibles that you can use in front of you, in the chair in front of you. You will notice that there are Bibles there. And if you're new here and maybe even new to church as a whole and don't know how to use a Bible, I want you to know that's perfectly okay. You can just follow along. I will read everything that we are going to look at this morning. You may remember that two weeks ago, because we didn't have church last week because of the weather, but two weeks ago, during our communion time, we looked at verses 15 and 16 of Ephesians 1, and we're going to pick up today and just go right on with, with that thought. I will review briefly for those of you who weren't here a couple of weeks ago. But um, we're going to look this morning at how Paul teaches us to pray. How we are to pray for ourselves. How we are to pray for one another as believers. This is an extremely important and instructive passage for us. And I want you to know that if you preach or teach, you've experienced this before. But this is one of those passages that is just overwhelming. In fact, I'm going to read verses 15 through 23 to give us the context this morning. And there is a sense in which I want you to be. I want you to be overwhelmed by this. There is so much glorious, majestic, amazing truth in this passage. I just want it to wash over you as you consider it. Paul writes, for this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who, feel, who fills all in all. I feel so unworthy this morning to try to explain this to you because there is so much there. I will do my best to try and help us to grasp what Paul is saying and how he teaches us to pray. Our first point this morning is a glorious salvation. God wants every believer 
to constantly preach the gospel to himself or herself because understanding the gospel is the key to every aspect of the Christian life. It is. The gospel is. God wants you, even as a believer, maybe you've been saved for 50 years, but God wants you to preach the gospel to yourself every single day. God wants you to understand who he is, how holy he is, how loving he is, how gracious he is. He wants you to know from scripture how sinful and weak and frail that you are. He wants you to understand from Scripture that Jesus Christ is God's only provision for our sin, certainly in salvation, absolutely, but also every day, every single hour of every day, we need to understand that we need Jesus. We need to practice the words we just say, Lord, I need you every hour, I need you. Those are good words. And we need to understand that we need to decide. Certainly we decide in salvation to trust Christ as Savior. And we receive the guarantee of his salvation for all of eternity. But we need to know that every day we need to make a decision to submit to his lordship, to follow his guidance, to love him with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Every single day we need to do that. And so Paul says, just to review briefly for you, in verses 15 and 16, for this reason, he says, based on everything he just said, in verses 3 through 14, on the great hope and inheritance that he describes for us in those verses. And he says, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. I've heard. I've heard you're saved. I have heard that you are a Christian. You've been converted. You have been reborn. You have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit. I have heard of that. And I have heard of your love toward all the saints, which is one of the greatest evidences that you are genuinely saved, that you are genuinely born again, that you love all the saints, those you agree with and those you don't, those you get along with and those you have a hard time getting along with. You love them all. And that's because you know Christ. Because Christ lives in you and that is the evidence of that. So he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you. I'm thankful that you're a Christian. And you know what? This morning I am thankful that you are a Christian. If you know Christ as your Savior this morning, let us just give thanks to him for that. Let us be thankful for that above all things that we know Jesus as Savior And so Paul says, remembering you in my prayers. And so he begins to pray for them. But before we head into that prayer, I just want to remind us that as we looked back, that as I preached through verses 3 through 14, we were reminded of this great truth. And I just want to share it with you again because it's so important this morning. In Jesus, we have all that we need. And we have all of Jesus that we will ever need. I want you to know that. That in Christ, who lives in you, if you know him as Savior, you have everything you need. And you have all of Jesus that you will ever need. You don't need to pray, Lord, I want more of Jesus, because you've got all of Jesus. 
You don't need to pray, Lord, give me more of the Holy Spirit because you've got all of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to pray, Lord, give me more power because as we'll see, and you'll see this this morning, the power of God already resides within you. No, we are going to see this morning it is so important. Paul says, I pray that you understand what is already yours. I pray you live out what is already possessed by you. And again, if we are to understand Paul's prayer, we need to understand this thought that in Jesus we have all that we need and we have all of Jesus that we will ever need. The prayer of Paul is not God give us new blessings. His prayer is God help us to realize the blessings that are already ours. His prayer is not give us new truth. His prayer is help us to experience and live out the truth that we already know. And so that brings us to our second point, the main thrust of this whole message, and that is praying for believers. Paul prays, first of all, first of all, as we look at this this morning, Paul prays that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. As he prays for the believers at Ephesus, and as I explained to you at the beginning of this series, This letter didn't just go to Ephesus, but it became a letter that was circulated among multiple churches. As he prays for them, he prays that God would enlighten the eyes of their hearts. In verse 17, in the first part of verse 18, he says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Could be translated having the eyes of your heart opened. That's the heart and soul of this passage. And if you remember nothing else as you walk out today, I want you to remember that you need to pray and I need to pray for ourselves and for each other. Open the eyes of our hearts. Help us to see Jesus in all of his fullness. Help us to see all that is ours because of what Christ has accomplished for us. So that's what he prays, that the eyes of their hearts, their spiritual eyes, would be enlightened and opened. And so he says, may the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And he isn't praying that we would have more of the spirit. He was saying that you may understand through the fullness of the spirit that already resides in you. May God grant you wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of him. In the NIV it says that you might know him better. Oh, open the eyes of our hearts. Oh Lord, through your Holy Spirit who resides in us in all of his fullness, give us the Spirit. Give us the attitude of wisdom and revelation that we might know Jesus. And that's what Paul is praying. May the Holy Spirit reveal Christ to you in all of his fullness. May he do so in the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. Folks, I want you to know this morning you already have wisdom and revelation. Just use it. 
It is yours in Christ. It is yours through the avenue of the Holy Spirit. Oh Lord, help me to use the wisdom and revelation that is in me through the Holy Spirit to see Jesus in me. And I say to you again, you don't need more of something. You have it all in Christ. So may God open up the eyes of your hearts and the eyes of my heart. Let me give you a biblical illustration of this. It has to do, or it comes from Luke chapter 24, where you may be familiar, there are the two disciples who are walking from Jerusalem to Emmaus. The passage is known as the road to Emmaus. These two disciples, after the death and resurrection of Christ, are walking down the road, talking to each other, and Jesus joins them, but they don't know that it's Jesus. And they're telling Jesus about all these things that have happened to this man named Jesus of Nazareth. And then it says this. It says, beginning with Moses and the prophets, Jesus explained the scriptures to them. Oh, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained the scriptures to them as they walked along. From the Old Testament on, he told them about the Messiah. And then in Luke chapter 24, in verses 30 through 32, we read this. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes, notice this, and their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight They said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? That's our prayer. Open our eyes, Lord. Open our eyes so that we might recognize Jesus and see see him in all of his fullness and all that he has accomplished for us. John Piper says there are three levels of knowing God. Three levels. The first is the level of experience. We experience God. We experience his forgiveness. We experience his peace and his strength as we go through the trials and concerns of of this life. So we experience God. He said the second level of knowledge is the level, or excuse me, the second level of knowing God is the level of knowledge. We read our Bibles. Excuse me, we go to church. We listen to sermons. We read good Christian books that really help us to better understand Scripture and to better understand Christ. That's the level of knowledge. But he said there is a third level, and that is the level of wisdom. And he says this, don't miss it. He says the level of wisdom can only be attained through prayer. It is when all you have learned and all you know becomes real. It becomes personal. It's no longer just academic truth. It's no longer just words on a page. It is in your mind. It is in your heart. It is in your soul. And he says, as we experience fellowship with the living God, as we worship him, as we exalt him, as we know him, He gives us wisdom. He takes that scripture and he applies it to our lives 
and to all of life. Well, secondly, Paul prays that they would know their hope and their inheritance. Look at the end or the last part of verse 18. He says, I pray that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He says, I want you to know your hope and I want you to know how rich you are, what kind of inheritance is yours in Christ that you share with all the saints of God. What is this hope and what is this inheritance? It's everything we learned in verses 3 through 14. What an important section of scripture. It is. It is that whole section. The section on election, on predestination, on adoption, on redemption, on forgiveness, on inheritance, on sealing, and guarantee. All those things, he says, I pray that you understand them. Oh, let me give you some examples. We start off with the beginning of that, in Christ. God has blessed us in Christ with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. Oh, Lord, help me to understand that. I pray for you. I pray for me. Oh, God has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Well, that's a lifetime to ponder, to reflect on, to meditate on. Let me, another example. He says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses. You know why we have hope and we have an inheritance? Because we're forgiven. We are forgiven through Christ. We stand clean before God the Father because we are cloaked in, we are robed in, we are clothed in the very righteousness of Christ himself. Oh Lord, help me to know my hope and to know my inheritance. Another example in that section, he says that we have been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Oh my. You know, when you sing, when you come here and sing, you need to pay attention to what you're singing. We specifically choose songs that teach sound theology and sound doctrine. When we sang, come praise and glorify the Lord, did you see in there it talked about the sealing of the Holy Spirit? It talked about the guarantee of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Mike does an excellent job of picking songs that not only complement the sermon, that bring, that funnel toward the sermon, but teach us. So we learn when we praise, we learn when we worship, we learn when we sing. God has sealed you with his Holy Spirit. He's our guarantee. Not a maybe might be wish. Wish it were true, a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Some of you may remember a number of weeks ago when I preached on that passage, I shared a quote with you from Billy Graham. And Billy Graham said this. 
He said, one of the most thrilling thoughts that has ever crossed my mind. This is Billy Graham, who influenced hundreds of thousands of people. He said, one of the most thrilling thoughts that has ever crossed my mind is that the Holy Spirit has sealed me. And he has sealed you, he said, if you are a believer, nothing can touch you. Isn't that great? Nothing can touch you. Oh, we are sealed. And he says, I want you to know. I want you to know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Third, Paul prays that they would know and experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power toward them. This is the part that really overwhelms me anyway. This is the part that I just wrestled with as I studied this. And some of you may remember that back in 2015, I did a whole series on the prayers of the Apostle Paul. And this was one of the prayers we looked at at that time. I was, over the, I was overwhelmed then. I'm still overwhelmed today. I am. This is incredible. In verses 19 and 20, Paul prays this. I want you to know. I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He's saying, I want you to know the immeasurable, immeasurable greatness of God's power toward us who believe. You want to know how great this power is? It is according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and when he seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. He is saying this, God, God's power lies within you. God's power. I just want you to just kind of catch your breath this morning. And think about that. The power of God lies within you because Christ lives within you. How great is that power? It is the same power that raised Christ from the dead. It is the same power that caused him to ascend to the right hand of God the Father above all things. Back last year when I did the series on what is a disciple in one of the messages. I quoted for you from the song by Jeremy Camp, Same Power. Love that song. I love it because it's, it's just biblically so true. And I want to quote from it again, from that song, the chorus of that song, because part of that song that Jeremy Camp sings is from this passage. It is from this passage of Scripture. This is what he says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can cause, that can calm a raging sea, lives in us, lives in us. I just want you to think about that. The same power, not kind of like it, not similar to it, same power that raised Christ from the dead 
lives in you. The same power that commands the dead to come to life. The same power that can move a mountain. The same power that can say to a raging sea, be still, and it becomes as calm as glass. That power, that power lives in you. Because Christ lives in you. And Paul says, I want you to know that. I want you to understand that. I want you to grasp that. And then verse 21. Verse 21 is beautiful and glorious. And yes, as I mentioned, overwhelming. He said, this power that raised Christ from the dead, that seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, I want you to know how far this power seated him above. Far above. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come. That's pretty high. It doesn't say above. He says, notice that? Every word of scripture is important. Far above. Far above. Jesus is seated above all the angels. Jesus is seated far above all the saved and the unsaved. Jesus is seated far above Satan and his demonic hosts. He's seated far above everything. Far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, above every name that is named, not only only in this age, but also in the one to come. And we cry out. And we cry out, open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. Open the eyes of our hearts to see our Savior and all that we have in him. Verses 22 and 23 are an all-encompassing summation of everything Paul has just written in the first 21 verses. So as we come to the end of chapter 1, He summarizes it all in these two great verses. And he says this, And he, God the Father, put all things under his, God the Son, put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The Father put everything under the feet of the Son, and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. That's us. His church. The church that he bought with his own blood. Which is his body. We are the body of Christ. He is the fullness. He is the fullness. It is the fullness of him who fills all in all. He rules over everything. He rules over all the entire universe. Over all the heavenly realms. And he rules over us. He fills all things. And to him we look. To him we pray. But Paul wants you to know, no. Excuse me, Paul wants you to know this. This is the Jesus to whom you belong. This is the Jesus, he says, that I want you to know. I want you to know the Jesus who is the head of the church and whose fullness fills all in all. Well, this prayer that Paul prays helps each one of us to know how to pray for other believers. You want to know how to pray for each other? 
You want to know how I can pray for you and you can pray for me and you can pray for each other? Here it is. Here it is. This is a prayer you can pray for your children. This is a prayer we should pray for our children. Your children may be 10 years old. Your children may be 40 years old. doesn't matter. They may be little children, teenage children, adult children. Pray for them. Never stop praying for them. And pray this prayer for them. This is a prayer that we can pray for those we disciple. We want those we, who we disciple. We want to point them to Jesus. We want them to see Jesus and to know all that they have in Jesus. They're not following us. They're not following our church. They're following him. Pray this for those you disciple. This is a prayer that we can pray for those who have wandered from Christ, for those wandering children of God who have somehow gotten off the path and you're concerned for them, you're worried about them, pray for them. Pray that they would come back and understand and know everything about their hope and everything about their inheritance in Christ. And yes, yes, this is a prayer you can pray for you and should pray for yourself. It is a good prayer. And this is a prayer, folks, that will keep us from legalism. And this is important. It will keep us from legalism. The Christian life is not about rules and regulations. It's not a series of do's and don'ts. The Christian life is knowing him. And knowing all that we have in him, experiencing that, living that out, marveling at it, treasuring it, finding great hope and comfort in that. As I was studying this week, I had one particular commentary, and and I thank God for these commentaries. It was a very technical word study kind of commentary, technical language. Most pastors try to balance between devotional commentaries and what we would call theologically uh, technical commentaries. We need both. But this one was more the technical. And yet when he came to the very end, I loved it. He goes, you know, you can get into all the words and the phrases in this passage and, and that's good. We should do that. But he said, here's the bottom line. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Everything brings you back to him. Folks, I just want you to know you have, or in Jesus, you have everything that you need. And you have all of Jesus that you will ever need. Open the eyes of our hearts to see him. Let's pray together. Father, it is our prayer. Enlighten our hearts. Open the eyes of our hearts to see Jesus and to see our hope, to see our glorious inheritance, to see, oh Father, to see with clear spiritual eyes the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in us. Oh, Lord, we beg you this morning, help us to live like that. When we face trials, when we face hardships, when we feel defeated, help us open our eyes to see all 
of our riches in Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.